Hello everyone, I'm Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is chapter 39, Rodan of Alexandria. On Sunday morning, September 18th, Andrew told the crew to take a week off. All of them, except for Nathaniel and Thomas, went to visit with their friends and families. Jesus stayed to himself and managed to get almost a full week's rest. Nathaniel and Thomas spent their week talking with a Greek philosopher from Alexandria named Rodan. This man was a new convert to Jesus' teachings. He had been brought into the kingdom by one of Abner's group that was working in Alexandria. He had come to Magadan wanting two things, to get a copy of the gospel of the kingdom and to talk with Jesus about how he should harmonize or blend together his philosophy of life with Jesus' new religious teachings. Jesus welcomed Rodan to the camp, but he decided not to enter into a discussion with him. Instead, he told Nathaniel and Thomas that they should listen to what the man had to say and, in turn, teach him about the gospel. Rodan's Greek Philosophy The next morning, Monday, Rodan began what turned out to be ten lectures to Nathaniel, Thomas, and about two, uh, two dozen other believers who just happened to be at the Magadan camp. The following summarizes those talks. Life is based on urges, desires, and lures. To develop a strong character, a commanding personality, a person has to transform those drives into the social art of living. That means that a person's present goals on earth have to morph into higher, more spiritual desires. In other words, that normal earthly desires based on human existence are converted into higher, unexplored ideals. The more complex our civilization becomes and the faster it advances, the harder it will be to develop strong characters and convert our base desires into a higher order of life. If progress is to continue, humanity must relearn how to live every ten generations. And if we, humanity, become too smart and advance even more quickly, we will need to relearn how to live every generation. If our highest ideals of how to exist together do not keep up with our technology or the complexity of the social systems that frame our lives, people will fall back to simply meeting life's basic urges. They will only care about getting what they want right now, and neither humanity or our societies will ever fully grow up. Social maturity is the measure of the people's willingness to give up the immediate satisfaction of getting what they want now 
for the delayed satisfaction of more permanent and soul-progressing ideals. But the real marker of a society's level of development is the willingness of the people to put aside the goal of having an easy life and instead show the courage to walk the active, uncertain, and often unsettling path into undiscovered spiritual realities. Animals respond well to the urge to live, but humanity can create an art of living, even though most people will only ever live as animals do. Animals only know the instinctive urge to live. Humanity can convert the goal of staying alive to the desire to reach higher spirituality. Man has the ability to choose, to make the choice to live in ways leading to spiritual ecstasy. People not only have the ability to recognize values and understand the meaning of things, they are aware that they are actually having those thoughts and making those decisions. Animals never question why they are alive. They do not know the meaning of life, so they never worry about it. But they do not commit suicide either. The fact that people kill themselves shows that those people rose up from living like animals, but were not able to make it through the chaos to the higher levels of spiritual life. When people have the courage to give up their animal nature and instead live lives based on their higher spiritual values, which is a path of adventure and uncertainty, they have to expect emotional, emotional turmoil. In other words, times of conflict, doubt, and unhappiness. At least that will be the case until the person regains some stability. In other words, until they reach a certain degree of emotional and intellectual maturity. Things like worry, laziness, and discouragement show that a person is still morally immature. Humanity is faced with two problems. How to help the individual to mature and how to do the same thing for the entire race. When people have grown up morally and emotionally, they treat other people with tenderness and tolerance and look at less mature people with the same kind of love and consideration that parents do their children. A successful life is nothing more or less than mastering the art of solving common problems. The first step is to recognize there is a problem and its importance. The biggest mistake is to let fear stop us from recognizing our problems. Next is not letting go of old false feelings for or of safety and security once we realize that we were wrong. We have to drop our feelings of self-importance, admit our jealousy of others, and get rid of our favorite prejudices. 
It takes a brave and honest person to accept and face without fear what a sincere and logical mind discovers. To find the best solution to any problem requires that the person's mind is free of bias, passion, and anything else that might cloud the issue. Solving life's problems requires courage and sincerity. Only brave and honest souls can boldly follow the leading of a fearless mind. To reach this level of mental freedom requires a passion bordering on religious zeal. And that craving has to have a strong enough lure to cause the man to set out on a path filled with material and intellectual hazards. And even though a man may have the honesty and bravery to meet life's problems, he cannot expect success without the ability to get along with others and gain their support. He must have tact and, and tolerance. But the greatest way to solve life's problems, I learned from your master, from Jesus. And that is to isolate oneself and go into meditation, worshiping God. By going off by himself to talk to his Father in heaven, he not only gains the wisdom and strength for meeting conflicts, but also the energy needed to solve problems at a spiritual level. Still, correct techniques for meeting life's problems will not overcome defects in the person's personality or a lack of hunger for true righteousness. I am impressed with Jesus' habit of going off to meditate and look for new wisdom and greater energy. He quickens or speeds up and gives energy to the purpose of life by releasing himself to God and in the process correcting or fine-tuning his personality and ability to see the truth. And he does all of this with a singular purpose, to glorify God, to enact his favorite prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' practice of going off by himself to meditate and worship God relaxes him and renews his mind. This habit inspires the soul, gives one the courage to bravely meet life's problems, does away with weakening fear, infuses the person with the knowledge that they are one with God, and as a result, lets them dare to be godlike. The relaxation that comes from worship, from thinking about and talking to God all alone in your mind, relieves tension and strengthens the entire personality. And all of these ideas, plus the gospel of the kingdom, make up the new religion as I best understand it. Prejudice stops the soul from being able to see the truth. And it is inseparable from selfishness. Selfishness. The only thing that can remove prejudice is to put oneself aside and devote oneself to a cause that includes all mankind. A cause that is not only greater than oneself, but greater 
than all of humanity, the search for and the reaching of divinity. The measure of someone's maturity is how well they can direct human desire into the constant search for ever higher and more divine ideals. In a world and social order that is constantly changing, constantly evolving, it is impossible for us to set fast earthly goals. Having a stable personality means that the person has instead chosen the living God inside of them as their eternal goal. And this shift from time to eternity, from earth to paradise, from the human to the divine, requires that the person becomes born again as a child of the divine spirit and enters the brotherhood of the kingdom of heaven. All religions and philosophies that fall short of these ideals are immature. This philosophy I teach, along with the gospel of the kingdom that you preach, is the new religion of maturity, the ideal for all future generations. And this is true because our ideal is perfect, eternal, infinite, and universal. My philosophy led me to search for truth, to reach for maturity. But the urge itself was not enough. It lacked a driving force. I was uncertain. I lacked direction. These problems, though, have been solved with the new insights, higher ideals, and definite goal of Jesus' gospel. Now I have no doubts, and I can wholeheartedly strive for God. The Art of Living There are two, two ways that people can live together, like animals or like people with a spiritual nature. Animals have limited communication using sounds and signals that do not carry ideas, values, or meanings. Man, though, communicates messages with symbols that specify those ideals. Animals do not develop personalities like men do because they cannot share ideas like people do. This ability to share ideas lets us build civilization. Knowledge accumulates because humanity can share what we know today with future generations. And this elevates art, science, religion, and philosophy. Social groups come into being because we use symbols to communicate. The most valuable social group is the family, specifically the two parents. Affection for one another is the spiritual glue that holds those material groups together. Devotion to genuine friendships between people of the same sex also show this same possibility. Friendships and family units based on mutual affection are socially uplifting because they bring about the following higher levels of living. 1. Mutual self-expression 
and self-understanding. Many good ideas never happen because the person does not have anyone to tell them to. It's not good for a person to be alone. High character requires that having morals requires more than having morals and a smart mind. Everyone needs a certain amount of recognition and appreciation and the genuine love found in a home to fully develop a balanced character. The greatest relationship for developing high character is a man and woman dealing with all of the issues that come up in a healthy marriage. I glorify family life because your master has chosen the father-child relationship as the cornerstone of his gospel of the kingdom. In such a relationship, a man and woman embracing the highest ideals of time is so satisfying that it is worth any price or sacrifice to have. 2. Union of Souls, the Mobilization of Wisdom Each person, sooner or later, develops what is known as their worldview, their particular set of ideas about this world and what is coming next. It is not only possible for us to come together and unite these ideas, but it's also important that we do so. Otherwise, prejudice or narrow-mindedness can distort our vision. Fear, envy, and egotism, thinking too much of yourself, can only be prevented by close contact with other people. By pulling our spiritual possessions, we enrich our souls. I remind you that Jesus never sends you out to work alone. You always go out two by two. And since wisdom is super knowledge, then combining wisdom lets the group share in all knowledge. Three, the enthusiasm for living. Isolation can exhaust the soul. Being around friends is vital to renew one's zest for life, and crucial to keeping up the courage needed to fight those battles that come with rising to higher spiritual levels. Friendships increase joy and glorify life's victories. They enhance all beauty and intensify all that is good. They take away sadness and bitterness when suffering, and they provide a space to mutually stimulate our imaginations. There is no greater spiritual power in men knowing that they are wholeheartedly devoted to a mutual cause and cosmic deity. 4. The Enhanced Defense Against All Evil Friendships work to ensure against evil. Defeat, sadness, difficulties, and disappointment are harder to bear when alone. Friendship does not transform evil into righteousness, but it makes it easier to bear. Your master said, Happy are they who mourn, if 
a friend is at hand to comfort. There is strength knowing that you live for the welfare of others and that those others in the same way live for your welfare and advancement. People waste away in isolation. They become discouraged when all they see is the passing events of time. The present moment, when it is separated from the past and the future, becomes annoyingly trivial. Only glimpsing the circle of eternity can inspire a man to his best. And at his best, he can unselfishly, unselfishly live for the good of his fellow traveler, travelers through time and eternity. I repeat, the greatest friendship possible is in marriage. True, even though many can true even though much can be attained from marriage many of them utterly fail to produce those spiritual fruits too many times people enter into marriage with lower level desires than those higher levels of spiritual living an ideal marriage has to be based on something more stable than sex and emotions it must be grounded on true mutual devotion to one another and if you can build enough of these small, effective, and trustworthy groups between people, when you bring them all together, the world will see a great and glorified social structure, a mature human civilization. People living like this might someday realize your master's ideal of peace on earth and goodwill among men. While society would not be perfect, it would at least be close to being mature. The Lures of Maturity Growing into maturity requires energy, but from where does that energy come? While physical things can be taken for granted, your master has well said, man cannot live by bread alone. After having a normal body and good health, we need to look for what else stimulates men's sleeping spiritual forces. Jesus teaches us that God lives in man. So how can we teach man to release these powers of divinity? How can we help men to release the God inside of them and in the process of blessing, uplifting, and enlightening countless other souls, refresh their own. How best can we awaken these latent powers for good that sleep in our souls? One thing is certain, emotions are not the ideal thing to stimulate the spirit. Excitement does not increase energy. It exhausts both the mind and the soul. So where does the energy come from to do these things? Watch Jesus. Right now, he is out in the hills taking in energy, while we are here using up ours. The secret to all of this is spiritual worship, the combination of meditation and relaxation. Meditation connects the mind to spirit, and relaxation increases the person's capacity to receive spirit. 
and this trading of weakness for strength, fear for courage, and the self for the will of God is worship. At least, that is the way the philosopher sees it. With repetition, this combination of meditation and relaxation crystallizes into lifelong strength-giving and worshipful habits that feed one's spiritual character in the creation of a mature personality. While these practices are difficult and time-consuming at first, when mastered, they are both restful and save time. The more complex society becomes, the more urgent it is for God-knowing people to protect themselves with habits that conserve and increase their spiritual energy. Spiritual maturity also requires the ability to adjust to ever-changing social environments. An immature man gets on other people's nerves. He annoys people. To multiply the fruits of his life's efforts, a mature person tries to win the sincere cooperation of others. My understanding of life tells me that at times I must fight to defend my beliefs. But I do not doubt that Jesus, with a more mature spiritual personality, would gracefully win by taking the higher road of tact and tolerance. Too often, when we fight for what we think is right, both sides lose. Only yesterday, I heard your master say, the wise man, when wanting to open a locked door, looks for the key instead of breaking it down. Too often, we fight just to prove to ourselves that we are not afraid to do so. This new gospel gives a man a richer reason to live, the noble goal of a supreme life purpose. That idea itself, that there is a divine and eternal goal for life, stimulates the best in man's nature. At the peak of all intellectual thought is relaxation for the mind, strength for the soul, and communion for the spirit. From this vantage point, a person rises above material problems and lower-level thought based in envy, worry, pride, revenge, and jealousy. These continuously ascending souls are able to remove themselves from the trifles of living and in the process become aware of higher spiritual concepts and celestial communications. But in pursuing one's, life, one's supreme life purpose, the person must guard against both the temptation to take, it, to take the easy way out and the disastrous consequences of fanaticism. The Balance of Maturity While a person can be focused on eternity, they also have to provide for life on earth. Spirit may be the goal, but flesh is a fact. 
Usually, we have to work for what we need. The two great personal problems in life are making a living here and eternal survival later. And even making a living needs a religion to be done well. In fact, true religion is not separate from the person, but the very essence of their personality. The essential needs of life on earth, as I see them, are 1. Good physical health. 2. Clear and clean thinking. 3. Skill and ability. 4. Wealth, the good things of life. 5. The ability to withstand defeat. And 6. Culture, education, and wisdom. Even health and fitness are best achieved when looked at from Jesus' teaching that the mind and body of man are the dwelling place of God. The spirit of God becoming the spirit of man, the mind of man becoming the mediator between material things and spiritual realities. To do well in life requires intelligence. It is wrong to think that just by going to work every day that you will become wealthy. Success on earth is achieved through certain well-organized channels, and only those using them can expect to profit well. Poverty will always be the result of isolated efforts. Prosperity requires wise planning and using the known channels for making money, not just showing up for work every day. An unwise person can devote their life to their generation without any material reward. Well, someone else can inherit a fortune and roll in luxury without ever doing anything of value for the world. You inherit ability while you learn your skills. Life has no real purpose for someone who cannot do one thing really well. One of the satisfactions of living comes from being skillful at something. Ability applies that one has the gift of a long-term vision. Do not be fooled or tempted by dishonest wealth. Be willing to wait for the rewards that come from honest work. The wise person can see the difference between the means and the end and will not allow over-planning for the future to defeat its own purpose. As one seeking pleasure, you should always be both a producer as well as a consumer. Train your memory to remember the good events of life. They can be recalled at will for strength, learning, and enjoyment. In this way, you build for yourself a gallery of truth, beauty, and goodness. Still, the noblest of all treasured memories are those of great friendships. Spiritual worship radiates the highest of those influences in a person's life. But life will become nothing more than a burden 
if you do not learn to fail gracefully. Noble souls make an art of defeat. You must know how to lose cheerfully, and you must have no fear of disappointment. Never hesitate to admit failure. Do not try to hide it under false smiles and beaming optimism. It might sound like a good thing to always claim success, but the results are terrible. A world based on unreality and the person's life destined to crash in ultimate disillusionment. Success can give a person courage and confidence, but wisdom comes from failure. People who prefer daydreams to reality never become wise. Only men who can face the facts of life according to their values can find wisdom. Wisdom combines reality with ideals and saves the person from either of the unproductive extremes, the side where idealism denies the facts of life and the side where materialism is blind to spirit. Those weak souls who can only survive on false delusions of success will eventually suffer as they wake up from their imagination's false dreams. It is in this process of continually facing failure and adjusting to defeat where religion has its greatest influence on man. Failure is simply a learning tool. It comes from a God-seeking man's attempt to learn as he explores the higher levels of universe reality. To these people, defeat is just another tool to use. A person may appear to be a complete failure in this life on earth. But if they have learned from their mistakes and earned the wisdom they contain, then their life, as seen from the standpoint of eternity, may become a great success. Do not confuse culture, wisdom, and knowledge. They are related but represent extremely different spiritual values. Wisdom always dominates knowledge, and wisdom always glorifies culture. The Religion of the Ideal You have said that Jesus sees genuine religion as the person's experience with spiritual realities. I have seen it as man's reaction to something worthy of humanity's devotion. In this way, religion shows our ultimate devotion to our highest ideals of reality and goals for spiritual attainment. When people believe their religion is related to their race, tribe, or nation, they do not consider outsiders to be fully human. We always think that our God is worthy for all people. Religion can never be based on just intellectual belief or philosophic reasoning. It will always be a way of reacting to life's events. It is a way of life, a way of conduct. Religion brings together thinking, 
feeling, and conduct in the worship of that worthy of universal adoration. If you have experienced something as religion, it is self-evident that you are already actively promoting that religion since you feel the God of your religion is worthy of worship by all people and celestial entities. If you are not out promoting your religion, you are fooling yourself with a traditional belief or simply intellectual philosophy. If your religion is spiritual, what you worship must represent your highest ideals. All religions based on fear, emotion, tradition, and philosophy I call intellectual religions. Those based on true spiritual experience I call true religions. The purpose of religious devotion can be true or false, real or unreal, human or divine, material or spiritual. In other words, religions can be good or evil. Morality and religion are not necessarily the same. A system based on morals with something to worship can become a religion, and a religion, if it loses its base in supreme devotion, can become a philosophic code of morals. And the object of this spirit reality, regardless of its name, is God. True religion always seeks to convert the person and transform the world. Religion implies that there are undiscovered ideals far beyond our highest morals and most advanced civilizations. True religion looks for divine wisdom, superhuman values, unexplored realities, undiscovered ideals, and true spiritual fulfillment. All other ways of belief are not worthy to be called religion. You cannot have a genuine spiritual religion without the ideal of an eternal God. Religion without God is man's invention, a system of lifeless intellectual beliefs and meaningless emotional ceremonies. A religion might say that it is devoted to a great ideal, but unreal ideals are illusionary and not attainable. The only ideals humans can achieve are the infinite values in the fact of the eternal God. The word or idea of God as opposed to the ideal of God can become part of any religion, no matter how false it may be. And this idea of God can become anything those people want it to be. Lower religions shape their idea of God to the natural state of the human heart. Higher religions demand that the human heart shapes itself to the ideals of true religion. Jesus' religion surpasses all others because he not only shows his Father as the ideal of ultimate reality, 
But he also says that this divine source and eternal center of the universe can be reached by every person who enters the kingdom of heaven on earth and accordingly accepts sonship with God and the brotherhood of man. That, I say, is the highest idea of religion the world has ever known. And, I say, there can never be an idea higher because the gospel includes the infinity of realities, the divinity of values, and the eternity of universal achievements. The result of the idealism of the supreme and the ultimate. I am both fascinated by this religion's ideals and moved to say that I believe Jesus when he says that these things, spiritual ideals, are reachable and that we can enter this eternal adventure assured of our ultimate arrival at the portals of paradise. My friends, I believe. I have started the journey. I am going with you on this eternal venture. The Master says that he came from the Father and that he will show us the way. I believe he speaks the truth. I am finally convinced that there is no ideal reality other than the eternal and universal Father. I worship, then, not only the God of reality, but the God of all future realities. If your devotion to a supreme ideal is to be real, it must be to this God of the past, present, and future universes of things and beings. And there is no other God, for there cannot possibly be any other God. All other gods are figments of imagination, distortions of false logic, illusions of mortal mind, and the self-deceptive idols of those who created them. Yes, you can have a religion without this God, but it does not mean anything. And if you try to substitute the word God for the ideal of the living God, you're only deluding yourself by putting an idea by putting an idea in the place of an ideal, a divine reality. These are merely religions of wishful thinking. In Jesus' teachings, I see religion at its best. This gospel lets us seek for the true God and to find him. But are we willing to pay the price to enter the kingdom of heaven? Are we willing to be born again, to be remade? Are we willing to subject ourselves to this terrible and testing process of self-destruction and soul reconstruction? Has not the Master said, Whoever would save his life must lose it. Do not think that I have come to bring peace, but rather a soul struggle. True, after we pay the price of dedicating ourselves to the Father's will, we will experience great peace if we continue to walk in the spiritual paths of a holy life. Now we are truly giving up the desires of the existence we know 
to unconditionally dedicate ourselves to the goals of an unknown and unexplored existence of a future life of adventure, exploring the spirit worlds of higher divine reality. And we look for these ways to teach our fellow men about Jesus' new religion. And we never stop praying for the day when all of humanity is thrilled by this shared vision of supreme truth. In our hearts, we know God as spirit. To our friends, we demonstrate that God as love. Jesus' religion demands living spiritual experience. Other religions may consist of traditional beliefs, emotional feelings, philosophic consciousness, and all of that other kind of stuff. But the Master's teachings require actual spiritual progression. Knowing one has the impulse to be like God is not true religion. Emotional urges to worship God are not true religion. The conviction to forsake oneself to serve God is not true religion. The wisdom behind the reason that this religion is the best is, re, is not religion as a personal and, exper, and spiritual experience. True religion relates to destiny and the reality of spiritual progression, as well as to the reality and idealism of what is wholeheartedly accepted by faith. And all of this must be made personable, personal to us by the revelation of the Spirit of Truth. And that ended the dissertations of the Greek philosopher, one of the greatest of his race, who became a believer in the gospel of Jesus. Okay, everyone, that's it for chapter 39, Rodan of Alexandria. Coming up in a few days is chapter 40, Further Discussions with Rodan. Defend liberty. Protect those kids. Get out there and find some way to serve man for nothing more or less than the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here.